Did you know Bridgestone developed a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials? Making a difference today for future generations. That's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Roto World Football Show, where today Kyle Dvorak and I will be previewing the NFC East with the help of Cowboys reporter Nui Scruggs, Commanders reporter JP Finley, and Eagles reporter Dave Zangaro. Nui is going to join us right here off the jump. JP will be with us about 30 minutes or so, and Dave joins us 45 minutes in. And it's our pleasure to welcome in NBC5 from the Dallas Fort Worth area, Nui Scruggs. He's joining us from the Santa Barbara airport as the Cowboys are departing Southern California to continue the preseason tour. So forgive any technical difficulties. Nui, how are you doing? You got to love life on the road. It's raining. in Southern California. Okay. It's <laughs> raining. And so uh, a little, little bit different, but the Cowboys with all Thursday, their final padded practice. They're going to take Friday off to fly back to Dallas Fort Worth and their first game. A uh, preseason game is going to be at AT&T Stadium against Jackson. Well, you're saying a little bit different with the Cowboys and the schedule. A little bit different with the team this year. Kellen Moore is gone. He was a fantasy football darling. We loved the way he called plays. We loved his kind of commitment. It's like what we would call like EPA-based thinking. We liked how he liked to pass a lot. He's gone. Uh, Mike McCarthy's back to being his own boss. And broad strokes, what would you say the differences are going to be in the Cowboys offense with no more Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy taking back the reins? Look, they've got Brandon Cooks now, so they're still going to throw. Okay, so you're going to talk about three wideouts and Brandon Cooks with the speed. You got Ceedee Lamb, the Pro Bowler, who can play in all three spots, and now you got a healthy Michael Gallup. So these guys are going to get out there, and most of what we've seen in practice is a bunch of throwing. Uh, they've got Tony Pollard, who is healthy after after last year. So the the job status really going to be who's behind Tony Pollard, who's going to be maybe that third and three running back if they decide they want to go with a bigger back in uh, Malik Davis, Rico Dattle or even Ronald Jones instead of using uh, Tony Pollard. But they go throw the ball here, man. Yeah, because Kyle has pointed out the you know the very infamous quote in fantasy circles where Mike McCarthy said, I've been where Kellen has been. He wants to light up the scoreboard, but I want to run the damn ball so I can rest my defense. That had everyone on edge, but you think that maybe we were overreacting to that, and it's still it's still the Cowboys, it's still Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb. You think we're still going to get our aerial pyrotechnics, it sounds like. This is why you have me on. I spent 20 minutes one-on-one with Mike McCarthy three days ago. Mike said that quote and what he was talking about was after 2020. It got misreported as he just said it for after this season. That is not the case at all. So after 2020, their first year working together, he had no issues with them running the ball last year. He said, look at the last two years. Look how much we ran the football. He's like, that quote was just wrong. It was the wrong year. So. There you go. 
That's good. really good. I actually did not know that. Yeah, and I think the thing that sort of gets lost in the Mike McCarthy shuffle is that they were, when he was with the Packers, the past heaviest team on first and second downs for his entire tenure of all 32 teams. Like, definitely, like, people can change. But, like, there was also the talks of him being, like, somewhat more analytics-focused as he joined the Cowboys. So it would be, like, it does sort of line up that that's a misrepresentation of who McCarthy is to a degree. So, no, you Mike mentioned McCarthy got the job. He did whatever he said, whatever he could to keep it. I, I always believe that Mike McCarthy wanted to call plays, but the Joneses love Kellen Moore. So Mike comes out and says, Oh, yeah, I love Kellen Moore. I'd have hired Kellen Moore wherever I went to. Of course, you would have because you wanted the job. <laughs> and Mike McCarthy, he might have had some old quotes recirculating, but I know for a fact he called that, that playoff loss they had with the 49ers a shootout. I think it was like 19 to seven or whatever. He was definitely, I think in a mood to kind of throw it in reverse after the season, but not surprised to hear that he's walking that back and he understands he has to throw. And like Kyle said, he's always wanted to throw, Uh, but they're still going to run the ball. Of course. And Tony Pollard is now the unquestioned lead back. Ezekiel Elliott is still a free agent. Uh, Fantasy managers have a lot invested in Tony Pollard, a first round pick this year. Do you think the Cowboys are ready to make him like a 220 carry player or would they like to keep his workloads in the same range they were when Zeke was in the backfield? He did get to almost 200 carries last year. What do you think the Cowboys are plans are with, with Tony Pollard's workload? Coming off an injury, I think they are going to be very judicious in how they use him. And once again, it's going to be what happens when it's third and three, third and one. What do they do there between, you know, whoever they decide is going to be the number two guy, Davis, Dowdle, or Jones? That's that's still yet to be determined here. Tony's going to get a lot of the volume he had last year, but believe me, they're going to it's going to be a tandem. Who that duo is along with them, we'll see, but they're not going to – this will not be Ezekiel Elliott 2016 where they're out here running the ball and this dude is going to lead the league in rushing. Don't look for that. That's not how they're going to run it. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, it makes sense. Pollard's just not that size, and they didn't, like, that's not what he was coming out of college. Do you think there is a lean on the number two in this backfield? And, like, I'm terrified. Can we see Ezekiel Elliott coming back to this team? Because I think that's what all the <laughs> fantasy nerds are, t- are really terrified of, because we love Tony Pollard. We wanted to see him get more work for a long time, and that would be a little concerning. So is there a number two, and is Zeke still looming? Ooh, I tell you, man, you guys actually listen to what Jerry Jones says. Jerry Jones once told us, says, just because I said it doesn't make it so. Jerry's the only one out here talking about, ooh, yeah, we could sign Ezekiel Elliott. No, they're not, they gave the guy's number away. Stephon Gilmore now has 21. Ezekiel Elliott is not coming back here. They are going to go with Tony Pollard, and it's between Ronald Jones, who, oh, by the way, is going to be suspended the first two games of the year, and then you've got Rico Dattle, you've got Malik Davis. That's why these preseason games are so important to see what it is they do there. And, oh, by the way, Deuce Vaughn, who they drafted out of Kansas State, they like him to watch him at the screen game during training camp. He's going to be a really interesting player to watch as well. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head where it's just genuinely unsettled behind Tony Pollard. And you mentioned Deuce Vaughn. I, at Fantasy Managers, he's a popular name, even though he's an undersized guy. No one's really counting on him putting up big fantasy numbers in 2023. Right. They may be like right. his long-term potential. But do you think he'll have any sort of role in 2023? Could he be a package player? Or is it going to be hard for him to get on the field? Patrick, this is why I, I can't emphasize it enough. Watching the preseason is going to tell us what happens. And McCarthy talked about it. He's like, you know what? I don't I don't have my 53-man roster set. I'm going to be open-minded because I know when these preseason games happen, somebody's going to make me say, whoa. So 
let's see what happens. I'll tell you my personal belief is that Malik Davis, when he's been given the opportunity last year, he has shined. I like him a lot. He was a good player in Florida. His teammate was out there leading the Houston Texans in rushing last year. So I think Davis, that's just kind of my personal belief, I think Davis could be the guy. But these preseason games, starting with Jacksonville on Saturday, that's going to tell us what's really up. Well, we're taking Davis to the bank now that you said that. So uh, we're in some deeper drafts. We're in some deeper drafts where you got to go 20, 20 plus rounds. He's getting drafted. I'm telling you, he's getting drafted. I like to hear because I've maybe been one of those guys drafting him. Moving to the receivers last year, like last year, Michael Gallup was like the sort of rebound star before we got to the season. Everyone's like, oh, this passing attack looks great. It's concentrated. They have a great quarterback. Michael Gallup, clear two, all wheels up. And it just didn't come together. And I think for a guy coming off the injury who's coming off of, that's reasonable to expect. But Nui, do you think that we can now expect that sort of hype to finally come to fruition? And the fact they brought in Brandon Cooks really muddies that. Do they think, do the, the Cowboys think he can actually return on that hype that was like, he was ascending. I don't want to say he was ascending to stardom, but he was really ascending to be a key contributor to this organization. And last year just did not come together, frankly. All right, if you're in the Michael Gallup, fantasy world here's what i will tell you it's a benefit cooks is still fans and if you're a safety you're gonna have to commit to cooks because if not he's running by oh by the way there's cd Lambin. michael gallup should see a lot of one-on-one coverage at camp he has looked good he talked about the mental aspect of coming back last year from the injury he still wasn't mentally where he needed to be despite them saying hey you're good to go so michael gallup is going to have a good year this this season, I personally, I would, I, I'd be going after CD Lamb. If you're that fantasy realm here, CD Lamb is going to eat. Last year, the first four games, he wasn't used to being a number one and everything that came with it. It was an adjustment. He really wasn't good. He got better toward the end of the year. So I'm looking for CD Lamb and what I've seen in camp here to have his best season. Nui, what is going on at tight end? Fantasy managers like Jake Ferguson, they think he might catch some passes this year. Cowboys used a second-round pick on Luke Schoonmaker, though. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I thought it was Schoonmaker. Yeah, so I always yeah. called it Schoonmaker. Is it Schoonmaker? The Schoon. That's a good it's nickname cooler, there. To be fair. Schoonmaker is cooler. Who do you think is going to catch more passes? Because we don't care about the blocking. We only care about the pass catching. Jake Ferguson going to have a pass catching role, or could the rookie Luke uh, make a move? Well, here's the thing about Luke. He, he's been. I think he's only had two practices right now because he's been injured. So he's dealing with a plantar fasciitis. So once again, let's see what happens with him in preseason games. I don't think he's going to play against Jacksonville. Fergalicious is your guy when you're looking at the tight ends right now. But he only <laughs> caught 19 passes last year. By the way, Fergalicious is his theme song. He's like, hey, you want me to sing karaoke? That's the only song I'm rolling out is Fergalicious. Good song. So that's the guy. But like I said, it's about 19 catches. Dalton Schultz, even last year, he was injured. Dalton was okay. And when Dalton had that good season two years ago, I think it was it was more dump-offs here. This is not going to be some, you know, Travis Kelsey, let me go get this tight end type of guy because the three receivers ahead of him are really good. Really good. So we've mentioned basically everyone who's getting drafted in fantasy leagues, but is there anyone flying under the radar having a big camp? I mean, we talked a lot about Jalen Tolbert last year in fantasy circles. That didn't work out at all. He's a third-round, former third-round pick. Anyone like Jalen Tolbert making noise this summer? Maybe any undrafted free agents? Who who are we not talking about from the Cowboys that maybe deserves to get talked about? Here's what I'm telling people, okay? I call it all Oxnard. 
the guys who look good at camp at Oxnard, and then we get to the preseason game, and then they can't get anything done. Uh, Danny Amendola comes to mind uh, as a guy who was like that before. So it was a kid from South Carolina, and I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, number 83. Uh, they love him. But let's see what happens in these preseason games. I can't emphasize that enough around here. It has got to be what do you do in preseason action. The offensive line is going to be compromised a little bit. It's basically Cooper Rush um, you know, as the quarterback here. And, and, and Will Will Greer from West Virginia, those are going to be the guys. So you got to really see exactly what happens here. But right now, I'm telling you, they're top three guys. It's going to be hard to be a number four around there. I, you know, barring injury, I really wouldn't even mess around with it. I just wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, it's not worth it. We're not planning on messing around with it. And 83, who I had never heard of, seventh rounder Jalen Brooks out of South Carolina. Yes, so. yes, yes Jalen Brooks. Yes, Jalen Brooks, who's looked good, okay? Jalen Brooks has caught everything. But once again, I caution people. It's all Oxnard, man. We've seen it too <laughs> many times where a guy can say, well, what, what happened to him? You know, it was like, it was Oxnard. Looked good there. Barry Switzer used to call him, can you do it when the band is playing? So, hey, you look good at practice, but the band is in the stands. Can you do it? And at AT&T Stadium, I've seen too many people who just couldn't get it. Like, man, but he looked so good. Dennis Houston last year. Oh, Dennis Houston. Man, guy went out there and didn't do nothing. Didn't do nothing all year long. So, if it's not the top three Cowboy wide receivers, go look someplace else. Final question. Dak Prescott took so much grief for the interceptions last year. Uh, a lot of it kind of stuff beyond his control. Just the Dak narratives are always so twisted and tortured. How has he looked to this camp? How do you think he's bouncing back, so to speak, from 2022? Where a lot of that just didn't seem like it was actually his fault. Last year, when the Cowboys took the field, most of the time, they had the worst receiving core out there. It was we, we used to joke called CD in the majors. Like CD Lambin, maybe somebody else will show up here um, because it was that bad. And then CD's first four games, he wasn't where he needed to be. So the receiving core has been massively upgraded. I can't tell you how much Brandon Cooks has meant not just in running the routes and looking at the speed, but coaching up other guys. I mean, he really has done a very good job there. Between Gilmore and Cooks, they brought in two veteran guys who played in the Super Bowl. So Brandon Cooks is going to make Dak Prescott a, a better quarterback. Seeing Lamb improving, understanding what it takes to be that guy. And then you got Michael Gallup, who's fully healthy. So he'll be better because the receivers are better. It's kind of like what I saw last year with Jalen Hurts when I took him. It's like you put Jay, you took, you take, you go get Brown. And then you add him with Waddle. Now you, you're cooking with some gas here. That's going to help the quarterback. That's the same thing for Dak. So if you're in a fantasy league right now, I would tell you, go get Dak Prescott. I even saw some runs that McCarthy put in the offense here. So him using his legs more. Dak Prescott's going to be a good player. Very, very good to hear. Very good intel on the running, which maybe that's probably something I've been hesitant to do after the, the catastrophic leg injuries. He's now as healthy as he's probably been in several years. Uh, very good to hear. Nui, I'm sorry it's raining in Southern California. I'm sorry it's probably going to make 103 degrees in Dallas when you get home. 106. 106. 106. (laughs) No way surprising. But thank you so much for taking the time, joining us from the airport, and giving us some really, really good stuff on the Cowboys. Okay, I expect my free subscription to the draft kit for the Edge because I'm trying to get my title back in the NBC5 Fantasy League, guys. Uh, That can be arranged. We will have our producer, Adam, send that to you ASAP. Uh, Nui, thank you so much for joining us. Have a safe flight. Be well, guys. Be well, indeed. The Cowboys are going to be well, Kyle. Uh, I don't know about the New York Giants. Uh, That's what we're talking about next. But first, actually, a word from our sponsors. And our sponsor, of course, is us. 
With the NFL season quickly approaching, now is the perfect time to get your Roto-World Fantasy Football Draft Guide, the one Newey Scruggs is pursuing a promo code for. Get ready for your draft and stay one step ahead of your league during the preseason with updated player rankings, profiles, projections, mock drafts, and more. Go to NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use promo code DRAFT2023 to save 20% off at checkout. That is NBCSports.com slash draft guide, promo code DRAFT2023 to save 20% at checkout. Kyle, you're keeping our rankings updated in the draft guide. We're getting some new mock drafts up. We're getting some new articles up in the draft guide fairly soon, actually. So really, really good stuff. Please check it out. Uh, the only team we don't have a reporter on to talk about today, Kyle, is the New York Giants. And they're a fascinating team, but they're just like a really, really weird team. Like they've got Saquon Barkley. Um, and then what are like the sure things beyond Saquon Barkley? Daniel Jones had a career year last year. Still wasn't even a QB1. Darren Waller's missed 14 games the past two years. I will just start in the receiver core where things are the weirdest, where I believe they have 13 receivers on the 90-man roster. And it's just, do we care about it's not any exaggeration, right? It's you actually know, like, not. No, no, I counted them up correct. on Monday. Yes. And do we care about any of these Cowboys wide receivers in redraft? I think in your standard redraft league, no. Like, I actually don't think it's really that important to get one of these guys. Because I also think there's it's not a guarantee that like one of them emerges as this you had to have them type of player. None of them are going in the top 70 receivers and underdog drafts right now to tell you about both the uncertainty, but also the lack of like a clear ceiling outcome. Whereas like, I also have no clue who's going to play for the Chiefs, right? Or who's going to be successful. But I think there's going to be a big winner there at the end of the day. I don't feel that confident that like, oh, you know, Jalen Hyatt, he, he ran all the routes. He's, he's a smash. I don't know. He could just not be that good. He's probably a player where if he does run the routes, I do want him. And he's the one that I've singled out as like, if I've got an end of the roster spot, even in my regular redraft leagues, I want to shoot for the moon. And I also want to shoot for a player who I think fits with what they're trying to do, which is not have the lowest dot in the league again. Like that it's very clear that they saw what they did last year and were like, yeah, I still think that stylistically fits with Daniel Jones. You mentioned this before. Daniel Jones is a really accurate deep thrower. He's not actually doing it a lot though. And I think that follows, right? I think he's a, he's a pick your spots player. He can hit the shots he needs to make. He's not going to go out of the way to do it. I think Hyatt is the guy that helps unlock as much of that efficiency as possible. So if I have to take a shot, it's Hyatt, but it's not like I'm leaving a draft with one of these guys at all times. There could just be a, not a big winner. Yeah. With Wandale Robinson, seemingly almost certain to start the year on the pup list, miss at least four games. I mean, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, <laughs> Colin Johnson, Isaiah Hodgins, Jamison Crowder, maybe Paris Campbell, all those names. The only one that I think any real discernible 2023 redraft upside is Jalen Hyatt. But that even he, it's just really hard to justify using a pick on like a 12 team league. Like he, because he could maybe even make some noise by the end of the year, but he seems like more like someone you star and put on your watch list. He's a roster clogger, almost certainly, because I don't think he's going out there in week one running 80% of the routes. There are too many slot guys who have experience in the NFL. It's, uh, you know, you're holding him for four or five weeks, and then you start him because he got four targets, and then he gets one. And then, okay, I'm cutting this guy. I need a backup tight end. But in deeper leagues, he's he's easily a target for me among this group. Yeah, that's an interesting point with Hyatt, where Hyatt actually probably isn't a bad flyer right now, just in case he blows the doors off training camp, is ready for like a bigger early season role, but... He's a final round flyer, and then a guy you have to be ready yet to just cut loose. Yep. Probably after week one, because sure. he's going to be probably the final if he guy in your roster. If he doesn't play a bunch of snaps in week one, like you're like, oh, I'm holding this guy for six to seven weeks without considering starting him. So absolutely, you have to be comfortable cutting him. 
we mentioned Darren Waller. I mentioned that he's missed 14 games over the past two years. Uh, so he's getting older. He's on the wrong side of 30. He probably is the number one pass catcher. I mean, not probably. He is the number one pass catcher on his team. Uh, assuming he stays reasonably healthy, what what is his ceiling at tight end? Because he used to be like every year he was he was a, he had a two or three seasons span where he was a no questions asked top three tight end. What what do we think his ceiling and floor is at tight end now that he is freed from the team known as the Las Vegas Raiders? Ceiling has to be like tight end two, like the 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 non Travis Kelsey tight end one, because I think a lot of guys are in contention for that he's easily got the best path to the highest target share. Like his target competition is weaker, obviously than Kittles, obviously uh, than Mark Andrews now with how much talent they've added more talent than the giants have tried to add. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I can see him going out in second in target share and that's, that's what's going to produce fantasy points. So his floor, his floor though, like, like you said, dude, he's what you say? He's like 30 years old now. Cause he, didn't He's really on the wrong side the of 30 now. Yeah, he didn't hit in the league till he was relatively old. So, I mean, he's pushing toward being done. Like, 30-year-old players with a history of injury are not, uh, you know, great. I don't want to say they're not great bets, but they're probably not great bets, frankly. So, yeah, his, his floor is that the Giants didn't get what they paid for, and he's really struggling to even, like, surpass guys like Pat Fryermuth and Evan Ingram on a weekly basis. Do we think there's another gear for Daniel Jones? Because he had everything basically go right last year, and I believe still finished as the QB 14. I mean, he has continuity for the first time really in his career with an actually good offensive coordinator. Do we think he can push this into the top 12, or is the skill talent just not compelling enough? Yeah, I mean, I think he can easily push it into the top 12. When you look at the receivers he was working with last year, it was like retreads from other teams. Darius Slayton, the team was the Giants, were desperate to get rid of they had like no interest in keeping him but ultimately that's what they had to do that's what they chose to do and now they're getting what i think is one of i I think of course i'm concerned 30 year old injury history for darren waller it's an upgrade it is a massive upgrade for this team i think i can be even if he's not any sort of massive upgrade from week one down the stretch what the team really needs someone who can allow them to push farther than like a 6.4 a dot and even with all those constraints last year playing a very like sort of manicured approach to how he plays quarterback. The fact that he cut down on some mistakes drastically, let him finish 11th in EPA per play, 6th in CPOE. Like, he was a legitimately good, efficient quarterback last year, but they played a pretty bland offense, and it was really the rushing that put him over the top to be, like, a solid fantasy option. I think if he ups the passing a little bit, you know, QB 7, 6, 8 range probably is, is you know, the second tier, essentially. He can lead this charge of the second tier. We'll see. I, I don't know. I'm not going to trust this guy. I'm, I'm misregarding him as, like, the QB 16 in perpetuity. He's, he's never making any any leap to me. But is Saquon Barkley a noob pick? Is this, like, one where, like, <laughs> we just accept that we got the one good year from Saquon and we kind of move on? Or do you, do you mind Saquon's ADP? I'm back in – the upper echelons, you know, three or four, top three or four running back, correct? Am I, maybe I'm incorrect on his ADP. Yeah, I think um, it's more like four, five, or six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it is more of the four, five, or six range. But do you, do you have an issue with that? Because, I mean, again, last year he stayed healthy. The big plays, I feel like, weren't quite as prevalent as they were in the past. And I, I, I don't quite entirely know what to think about Saquon Bar. It kind of feels like a don't hit on 17 pick to me. But am I incorrect? 
No, I actually kind of feel the same way in that, like we saw, you know, he still was hitting the home runs, but overall his efficiency as a runner was not like it was at his peak and his efficiency efficiency as a receiver dropped drastically. He wasn't as involved through the air and that's going down this year too, as they add more guys. So I don't think he's like a, a drastically bad pick or anything, but like when I can take Tony, like Tony Pollard goes after him in drafts, like an underdog drafts. Tony Pollard was the most efficient running back in the league by some metrics last year. Whereas uh, Barkley is more of a, a bet on volume. Like he's not the bet on volume that Najee is where I just don't see how the efficiency comes, but he's not the bet on talent that Chubb and Pollard are either at this point in his career. So for that reason, I do end up taking Pollard over him who goes behind him. So that's an easy one to do. And you know, Chubb goes ahead of him, but I think that is more than fair. Yeah, Bar- Barkley is not going as a first-round pick on underdog. He is going on a first-round pick like most of the home normie leagues, I believe. Yeah, wouldn't be me. Wouldn't be. We me. have a we have a competitor you may have heard of called Fantasy Pros. They have a composite ADP of ESPN and Yahoo, and Saquon's the number seven overall player. So you will be seeing a lot of first-round Saquon Barkley in your home leagues. You'll, I guess, they're never seeing that on underdog. Where the only time I ever draft was like live on air. Um, so so that's why i couldn't remember where exactly he was going on underdog but yeah he's the number seven overall player in home leagues that feels like that's gonna be like a no for me dog type pick same for me and i don't man this is crazy these uh these composite adps i don't know we should probably look at these more than aren't that aren't just underdog and well like the the sickest i will let you know that i will let you know that in the draft guide uh we also have uh adp tools that include a bunch of these sites that like I play, I play like one FFPC team a year. I, I drafted it last night, right? I have no clue what the ADP on the FFPC is like, not until I head into the lobby. So useful for figuring out ADPs of sites you don't play on, which for me is like most of them, like most of my drafts. I'm doing 400 drafts and they're on three sites. Yeah, I haven't done an FFPC in a really long time. I do some NFBC, one of the baseball yeah, yeah. equivalents. That's that's always quite a... quite. I'm looking at this, man. This is kind of crazy. Jalen Hurts is the number 22 overall player. Wow, um, uh, I guess this, this is with sleeper and RT sports. This composite they have uh, ESPN. Man, Saquon's in the top like seven or eight in all of these. He's, in, <laughs> he's, in the, he's, he's seven with he's eight on ESPN, eight on Yahoo. Yeah, I hate to be a Saquon hater. But. Yeah, the, the underdog sickos are drafting so many receivers that that's the one that'll be skewed. But to me, it's it's skewed in the direction that it, you agree with me that like is accurate as, as it pertains to Saquon. You can quibble with the other aspects of where the running backs are going, but I think we would feel much more comfortable getting him in like that late second on underdog than we would having to reach for him in a home league to get him at nine or what, like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, Jim. Uh, I, <laughs> I knew that was coming. I can't, I, I don't think, man, this feels like the least deep receiver has been to me in years. We're, we're, we're talking about as we are waiting for NBC sports, Washington's JP Finley to arrive and help us preview the Washington Commanders. But I, every day now, so I'm in a number of slow drafts right now, and, like, you're already getting to a point where, like, you have to take, like, DK Metcalf super early. You have to take Amari Cooper super early. You have to take Debo Samuel super early. Keenan Allen, I just – receiver does not feel as deep to me. I think receivers have been getting a little less deep each of the past three or four years, and you're getting forced in some, like, really, really gross players. And this is just my way. I'm just saying I'm scared, basically. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. 
with innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today, for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It is now our pleasure to welcome in at JP Finley, NBCS. Uh, I keep making the same joke. I mean, I don't know. What do we call the service now? Is, do we still call it Twitter? I mean, we're not seriously going to call it X. Um, what are you, what's your feelings, JP? <laughs> Dude, I mean, I, 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 I have not started calling it X yet. I imagine at some point maybe I will, but dude, I don't even like the NBCS. I probably need to change my whole X games are, are, are way off. <laughs> yeah. You're not, we are not optimized for X. Uh, <laughs> the commanders, well, let's get right to the point. Are the commanders optimized for Eric B That's where we'll start. Or Ron Rivera, you know, made, <laughs> Uh, some, ruffled some feathers over this week. We said Eric Bieniemy was basically too tough for some of the players. He began to walk some of that back. Has Eric Bieniemy, the new offensive coordinator, ruffled as many feathers as head coach Ron Rivera made it sound like earlier this week? You know, a storyline that often followed Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City as well. That he's he's a tougher old school coach. What would you say is the real dynamic there between Eric Bieniemy and his new players? I mean, I've talked to almost every like important skill position player. I, I do. I believe that if I had to guess, some veteran guys were like, "Man, we're running." They're legitimately running twenty, twenty-five percent more than they ever have, at, at least in the Rivera era, the last three years. And on certain days, that's probably even higher. And they really haven't had much of like a chill day, whereas they used to get those fairly <laughs> regularly. So, do I think that veteran players? went to Ron and we're like, dude, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> yes, I do. And then I think Ron was like, go talk to EB. And they did. And he was like, get out of here. I don't care. <laughs> and, and they went back to Ron and we're like, yo, like, I, I believe all of that happened. I, I know that happened. Um, I don't think it's a problem. And I think Ron's comments. One thing that's interesting is, I think this is blowing up more on a on national scale because of the enemies kind of become this not controversial, but, but all things Eric B tend to pop, right? Because nobody understands why this guy can't get a head coaching job, et cetera. Ron kind of puts his foot in his mouth to use his own language <laughs> quarterly, like every couple months, Ron will do something. That's just like, ah, oh, dude, 
Really? Like um, when, he, when he said, for, for instance, that he didn't know if they could make the playoffs or not. The eliminated. Yeah, exactly. Excuse yeah. me. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and, and there's one of these every couple months and you could argue if we should be or not, but folks are kind of just accustomed to it down here. Now this carries different connotation because the, the complexity of the enemy, not getting a head coaching job and what all could be included with that. Um, and then he's like, yeah, well, Jack's been a head coach, so he knows how to handle stuff, but Eric hasn't. And I'm like, well, Oof. what exactly are you trying to say here? And then, you know, the prepared statement to quasi apologize, like it's all just bizarre, but none of it's stunning. There, there are the skeptics, perhaps, that are like, maybe this is Ron trying to take back control of his program or, or set up if things don't go well. It'd be like, yeah, well, they didn't like him. And I'm not naive enough to completely close the door on that. I don't really think that was the case. Um, but I think Ron – Meant to say one thing, said far too much, and it's something he's done numerous times, at least in Washington. Yeah, it sounds like you're giving it the Occam, Occam's razor, where like, oh, Bienemy like is definitively like a hard nosed coach, like that is part of who he is, and Ron Rivera is definitively a guy who puts his foot in his mouth. Those two things happened. Is that right. surprising? Not particularly. Maybe there's other things going on, but it's easy and sensible to take what's going on as face value par for the course for these, like the characters that they are. Dude, absolutely. And, and, you know, since they've hired EB, I've made a point of talking to as many former Chiefs players as possible and then some Chiefs reporters and stuff. And then if you just read the comments, right, um, from a, like Tyreek Hill had a tweet the other day, man, yes, EB is going to push you hard, but it'll make you a better player. Like I've heard that from so many people that any adjustments hard, any transitions hard, you add in a guy that is yelling at guys all the time, undoubtedly. Mm-hmm and increasing the pace of things. And there's going to be some friction. It is important to point out, everybody thinks he's just out there cursing people out all the time. (laughs) I don't know that this is that important, but to me, there's a big difference from saying you suck versus that sucked. You know, like your play sucks or that block sucked is very different. Um, and it's always the latter. Like, it's never a personal attack. It's a you've got to do better, and there's a lot of bleeps involved. But <laughs> when, when good plays happen, especially guys, if he's been riding them, he then, will, when they figure it out, he's like, yo, great bleeping play. You you held the backside. or, or And it's, it's usually very nuanced stuff that he's really pushing. It's not the quarterback making the right read. It is – the backside tight end holding his route an extra second to keep the safety over the top, just stuff like that. And if the attention to detail and the intensity with which there is attention to detail work could work pretty well. JP, how has Sam Howell looked through the first few weeks of camp? Maybe what we should have started off with instead of Eric Bieniemy, but Fantasy managers got a lot riding on this, not just for Sam Howell, where they want kind of like the dual threat cheat code. But they want to make sure that Terry McLaurin remains usable in fantasy, that Jahan Dotson remains usable in fantasy, continues to ascend in fantasy. Is he locked in as the starting? I believe he's starting the first preseason game. And if so, how will he be deployed? Are we going to get that rushing production? Or 
how do you think Eric Bieniemy and Ron Rivera plan to use Sam Howell if he is indeed the starting quarterback? He, I think he's definitely the starting quarterback, barring so they play Friday night in Cleveland, two days of joint practices against the Ravens, which Ron has been talking about for six months how important that's going to be. <laughs> um, and then a Monday nighter against the Ravens for that second preseason game where you really see guys play. So I think barring a complete D minus F performance, he's starting week one. I, I think it's, you know, I, I wouldn't maybe write it in Sharpie, but I'd write it in ink. Um, you would write it in gel pen. You'd write yeah, it in gel, gel pen. pen. Thank you. Perfect. Um, he has looked pretty good in flashes. I think when he plays quick and the ball comes out quick and they're hitting for seven-yard outs and nine-yard digs, I think McLaurin and Dotson that you mentioned are the right guys for it. Um, you certainly hope the screen game is far more effective with Antonio Gibson, Brian Robinson, but they also run these tight end screens, receiver screens. The quick stuff, I think, could really work. The longer developing stuff, and they have some of that. It's not like seven-step vertical passing routes. It's elaborate, uh, you know, run fake, bootleg, opposite direction, set up a screener on the left, and then look deep. I, I worry about the line. I worry about the line maybe more than I worry about Sam. I think they, they, there's a path to this offensive line being good to decent or decent to good, um, but it requires, injury, you know, just staying injury-free, which most NFL teams have to say, but they have a bunch of guys that have injury history. Their left guard spot is absolutely up in the air. Um, the right guard spot, Sam Cosme, I like a lot, but he's been hurt. Uh, left tackles, Charles Leno, who had a really tough end of the season, but I know he was playing through a lot of injury. Howell has big arm. He's... He can run and he can scramble, which I think those are two different things. But I do worry about his ability to stay in the pocket and just stay kind of calm. <clears throat> Excuse me, fellas. My, we're passing around a cough in my house with my little kids. But um, he, I, So who's behind him is Brissett. We all know what Jacoby Brissett is. He's got 48 career starts in the NFL. He averages about 160, 170 yards passing. So what would get Howell benched to me are turnovers, too many of them. But if he's turning the ball over, it's because he's trying to make plays. From a straight-up fantasy perspective, uh, not, sca not scared of Terry because he's produced with some of the worst quarterback play the NFL's ever seen. Um I kind of love Jahan. I think Jahan is a real natural fit for EB's offense. I, I think he could have a big year. Um, I like both backs, especially if they're kind of late round picks. You know, I, I was really high on Logan Thomas, but he's missed about a week of practice now dealing with a calf issue. He had a calf issue last year. The tight end spot is going to be really interesting for them because there was a kid they loved, Armani Rogers, who was an undrafted guy. He blew out his Achilles in May. And I think I think if they knew he was hurt, they would have drafted somebody, but I, they didn't. Um, so that the depth there for a guy like Biennemi that runs a ton of 12 and 13 personnel is going to be interesting. I like Howell. Really high ceiling, but I, I think the floor is fairly low too. I, it's possible it all goes sideways. Yeah, you mentioned the running backs. I agree. Like Terry McLaurin – is just he's just quarterback proof. Like you'll never convince me that like no matter what situation he's put in, he won't succeed. 
And Jahan Dotson showed a ton as a rookie. Like I'm also, I think fantasy is pretty excited about him. One that I think is maybe more dependent on the situation. The usage is the backfield. We've already had Antonio Gibson say that in Bienry's offense, he think he plays the JD McKissick role that we've seen JD McKissick have in years past. And then last year we saw like the comp to that on the chiefs was Jarek McKinnon. McKinnon was sick last year. Like he was a really both fun, but great fantasy option down the stretch. Like, do you think there's a realistic path for Gibson to be like a mainstay of the team as far as just pass catching, even if he isn't used a ton between the tackles? Like, can that be, I don't want to say featured part of their offense, but more featured than Gibson has been up until like the end of last year? I think the dream scenario is Robinson's that Pacheco role, like that we saw, say, maybe the last eight games of the Chiefs offense, right? Um, you, you put Robinson as that Pacheco kind of hammer and, and Gibson in that Jet McKinnon role. Now, I, I do think McKinnon has proven a better pass protection ability than Gibson has at this stage, which that always impacts who's going to be out there on passing downs. Um, I also think the Chiefs, Mahomes, Kelsey, whatever, you're always going to find more openings. And I think McKinnon was really good at taking advantage of that. I don't know that things will be that open for Washington. Um, but yeah, I, from a straight role like a role projection, I agree with that for sure. What about Brian Robinson? Is, is he a guy who's finishing the year stronger last year? Um, sorry, I'm having some internet problems, by the way. Oh, good. I can uh, hear you, no problem. Good. I mean, Brian Robinson, he finished the year a lot stronger last year. Um, the word out of camp has been pretty, pretty positive on him. Uh, is this going to be a two-back backfield, basically? Are we going to have two fantasy-relevant running backs for the Commanders this season? Yeah, and I think to add to that, like part of this is Chris Rodriguez was drafted by the team, was like an interesting final season in college, and then got like, I want to say some good... I mean, they drafted him, of course, they're going to talk him up, but I think probably to add to this, as Pat is kind of alluding to, is like, is he a player that if we're excited for Brian Robinson in year two, we have to worry about? That's that's a good question. Um, I think it's definitely... I don't know about started. I would kind of guess started unless their offense is just awful and they get some injuries or, or Sam can't play. But assuming like median functionality for their offense, which is basically better than they've been, honestly. I mean, their offense is ranked probably bottom 10 in most metrics. Let's say they land around 22nd in total yards or whatever. If that's the case, I think you're starting both. I think Robinson and Gibson are at least rostered in most, you know, regular leagues. I know you guys do everything with DFS and all, all sorts of stuff, but just like a regular, your 12 buddies from high school fantasy league. I, I think both those guys are drafted rostered and probably started, especially once like bye weeks start hitting and everything. Um, Robinson is Robinson looked great last off season. Really, really good. He was the talk of camp. Then he gets shot with the, the whole story is just unbelievable. And he comes back and plays five weeks later he didn't look the same, especially once he got a little wear and tear on his body. I, I think he really slowed down and rookie wall, you know, getting shot in the leg, a lot of factors there. Um, he's looked really good this offseason. And I don't know how dynamic of a player he is, but if he's getting 15 carries and 71 yards and a chance at a touchdown, I think everybody's taking that. Gibson, I think, will still have a role. Um, He's Gibson's good, man. It, it's crazy the conversation that surrounds Antonio Gibson versus his production through three years in the NFL. Uh, I, I would expect both those guys to have a role. Rodriguez is interesting. 
he's got legs. You guys ever meet NHL player, like hockey players in person, the size of their thighs, the size of their quad? <laughs> Rodriguez has legs like that. Um, there's another guy on their roster that has played for them before for Ron, certainly never for the enemies, a guy, Jonathan Williams, uh, who I, I think is a pretty useful third, fourth back. He runs super hard. Uh, they picked up Derek Gore, who played for Enemy, had one relatively statistical significant season. Um, so, you know, if I'm drafting, and it's not some crazy dynasty keeper, 25-man league, I, I, Robinson and Gibson are definitely both on my radar. Rodriguez probably not so much. But if it's a deep league or, or definitely with keepers, you know, Gibson's a free agent after this year. But I, the only thing I would say for like a keeper dynasty league looking at Washington, I, it sure feels like this whole thing's getting blown up next year. It does. <laughs> you know, I, I just you said it, not us, but we agree. Yeah. That, it, it, they might win 10 games and that all changes. But um, I, I, outside of McLaurin and Dotson for a long-term perspective in Washington, unless you could draft Deron Payne and John Allen, I'd probably go a different direction. We're almost ready to welcome in Dave Zangaro from NBC Sports Philadelphia to talk to Eagles. But I hear your friends. Uh, yeah, I love that. Before we let you go, JP, Jahan Dotson was mentioned earlier. He was kind of a forgotten man in fantasy last year. He was like one of the overlooked first-round picks. Basically, it's overlooked as a real-life first-round receiver can go. He he flashed, but you know, he had some injury issues, had inconsistency issues, as everyone did in this offense. Any signs of like a second-year breakout with him? You know, with the caveat that it might be hard to break out with someone like Sam Howell at quarterback. Just how is Jahan Dotson looking this summer, and is he someone that fantasy managers can keep in their mind, keep in the mix in redraft leagues? So I don't know if any of – I'm in two fantasy leagues, my buddies from college, my buddies from high school. If, if any of them are listening, I would ask them to turn it off because <laughs> I'm going to go after Dotson in my leagues. I, I, think, I think he is positioned to have a big year. And I, I now he missed five games last year, uh, dealt with a hammy issue. He's a smaller guy, and that's kind of one of the questions is can he deal with NFL press coverage – He's really rangy for a smaller dude, has really long arms, great hands. He's a red zone threat, runs clean routes. I, I don't know what's going to happen with Howell, but I'm kind of buying it. I, I'm at least more intrigued than I've been the last couple of years with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Carson Wentz. And you know what I mean? Like I, this kid's got something. Every intangible is off the charts. All the off field moxie stuff is what you want. Um, I, for me, I would, you guys would know this. McLaurin's probably going top four ish rounds, five. Yeah, he is. And then in the McLaurin zone, as it's known. What, what, where's Dotson go? 11th round? It's might, it, it might be in double digits, Kyle. I don't know his ADP offhand, but maybe a little higher in like the sicko leagues. The home leagues, though. The home he, leagues feels like the place where he would definitely go 11th. The, the Sickos are drafting a lot of wide receivers this year, so we're accustomed to John Dotson in the you know, seventh, eighth round. But in your home leagues, unless you're in JP's league, then don't worry about this one. But in your home <laughs> leagues, you'd probably get him in the double-digit rounds. Well, Dotson is a wide receiver 39 on underdog, so he'll probably be the he'll be in that wide receiver 3-4 range. That's like probably, I don't know, ninth or tenth round in a home league, Kyle. Um, I think you're getting more value with Dotson later than Terry earlier. Not that Terry can't have another what's Terry gonna do? 1075 with five touchdowns? Like you can write it down. Um but I, I 
I, I like Jahan in this offense. Makes a lot of sense. And it makes a lot of sense on Jahan being more value late. T- Terry, he's in like that DJ Moore zone where he's always so close to like what feels like a true eruption season. There's so many extenuating circumstances, including maybe a team that's just going to get blown up. Like you said, JP, not us. Um, you can take the Daniel Snyder out of the commanders, but you can't take the commanders. We're all changing, man. We're all changing. They just might need <laughs> another year. And they need another year or two. I will bring in Dave real quick. Dave, you can say hi to your friend, your NBC Sports uh, friend, Mr. JP. I mean, you guys will be crossing paths at least twice this year, maybe more. Uh, Probably just that, those twice. <laughs> NFC Championship game at FedEx. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, there you go. What's up, JP? How are things? Is there like a new era down there? Is everyone kind of excited that Wicked Witch is dead? Dude, I mean, I don't know that you've ever been to the Ashburn training facility which is just terrible but um it looks entirely different it it really truly does the vibe is different one of the uh minority owners the student mitchell rails was there the other day he owns a company that's worth 200 billion dollars but he he went to my rival high school and started giving me grief about high school stuff which is incredible which in 10 years on the beat i had three conversations with dan um it it Dude, as long as you don't look at the field where things look pretty much the same, there's quarterback questions, line questions, and a really good defense. When you look around at the fans and the interactions, it, it's it's night and day, man. Yeah, that's cool. So, so many years we'd be at, like, owners' meetings, and my job was pretty simple, and I'd see JP, like, chasing down, like, hard news, like, like, <laughs> like stuff that you just don't want to deal with yeah, as yeah, a football yeah. reporter that you guys had to deal with for so long. Dude, I remember at the, combine, for you guys. at the combine last year, I bump into the Boston guys. I bump into, I, I assume it was Phil and Curran. And uh, they're like, yo, how's everything going? And I was like, ah, the DOJ just put down an entire. <laughs> and they're like, what? what? Yeah, I'm working on like the third receiver, and you're like going yeah. through government documents. Yeah, so you don't hear the DOJ acronym too much on the Road to World Football Show. <laughs> welcome uh, to Washington. Yeah, welcome to Washington. Uh, JP, we've taken enough of your time. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, best of luck to. I don't. Do you want to know? I would say best of luck to a normal season in Washington. Maybe you don't even want that as a reporter. Uh, you I, you I want do. things to be messed up, right? That's what the fans always say. You guys <laughs> like it when we're bad, dude. I, no. <laughs> I, 11 <laughs> wins and, and cover some playoffs. That's what I want. And that would be amazing for you. Uh, JP, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, we know it's really busy this time yeah, of year. Thank you, guys. Good to see you all. Good to see you, Davey. Hey, and Dave, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Sorry to keep you waiting. Uh, it's now our pleasure to welcome you in. D Zangaro, NBCS on Twitter. X again. I keep having this awkward moment with everyone now. Not, I'm not stopping. I've been doing it for years. I ain't stopping. I just keep having this awkward moment. There, like, is it Twitter? Is it X? I think um, we all just have to make a collective agreement to just keep calling it Twitter. I think so too. No that really, what. it's kind of like yeah, when they they sell the naming rights, you know, like an arena or a stadium. Like I'm, I'm not calling it. Eventually you, know, like, you will. Like eventually you'll get beaten down enough. But let's it's true. Stick with it. That's true. Hold on as long as we can. Hold yeah. out as long as possible. Dave, the number one thing fantasy managers want to know about the Eagles in 2023, maybe the best overall fantasy offense, is how are they going to deploy these running backs? Is it as simple as Rashad Penny on early downs and DeAndre Swift in the passing game? Or is it going to be complex where Kenneth Gainwell, the only guy with you know, coaching staff continuity, the only holdover who had a penchant 
for earning a lot of important snaps in 2022. Is he going to maybe be the primary early down guy? Will he mix in on third down? Just It's a complex question. It's still early in the summer. But just how in the world do you see things shaking out in this Eagles backfield? Yeah, it's really funny. It was the first question of the first press conference this summer. I snuck in there and asked Nick Sirianni how they're going to rotate these guys in the summer. And they've legitimately had five different running backs work with the first team offense. It's impossible to tell right now. I think some of those clues are right. Like DeAndre Swift is such a target out of the backfield that they're going to use that. It's worth noting the Eagles threw to their backs less than any team in the league last year. So. I was going to have a follow-up. Will they throw more to their backs? Yeah, I, I think they will just by who they have. I mean, Miles Sanders, his rookie year, had kind of a flukish 50-catch season, which is weird to say, but he did. I mean, that wasn't his strength. Whereas, like, DeAndre Swift, that's – I mean, he's better catching the ball out of the backfield than he is as a pure running back. So they're going to get him involved there. Kenny Gainwell has that attribute in his game a little bit. Uh, even before the playoffs where he vultured pretty much more than half of the snaps from Miles Sanders, he was getting uh, two-minute drill stuff. He was getting some big situations. They trust him a lot. They trust him in pass pro too, which is a really important element to all this. You're not getting on the field if you can't pass protect a little bit. Uh, so I think it comes down to those two. Uh, and Penny is like, I don't think anyone knows what to expect. He looks good out at training camp, but like that's not – his issue his issue is can he stay on the field and i i think it's foolish to just think he's going to come to philly and all of a sudden be a healthy back but that's in the back of everyone's mind like if this guy stays healthy the the success and, and his production speaks for itself and you put him behind this offensive line and you think okay i mean he has like pro bowl potential but i just don't think he can rely on him so uh, the big question is like who gets more touches by the end of the season. I'm a Swift guy. I think it's going to be Swift, but there are there's a Gainwell faction out there, and then there there are even some Penny people too. <laughs> or these warring clans. I know. Going, going. <laughs> it, I mean, honestly, you can ask people around this team like who do you think, and you're going to get different answers. It's there's no consensus right now. I lean towards Swift because they traded for him. I think his ability catching the football. He had a great game against them in Week One last year. Always a huge factor with these guys. Yeah, it's it's, I mean, you ask anyone in the organization, it doesn't take long for them to get to that game and mention how good he was, which is a little uh, – It's kind of silly, but you understand silly. why it sticks in your mind. Yeah, you saw it. I mean, he was electric in that game. Uh, he looks good at training camp, so I'd have him in the lead, but I think it will be some sort of a rotation still. So you say, though, Rashad Penny has at least been looking the parks. He was coming off another major injury – he looks healthy. He's doing what Rashad Penny is advertised as doing. Yeah, it took a little while because, like, the, the early practices, it's tough for him because he's kind of an explosive back. Uh, and, he, like, running backs are a little tough before they're – like, this camp is not that tough. They're not really hitting. Uh, they're in pads, but, you know, it's not, not real football. He's starting to look better and better, especially on, like, stretch plays where he gets to open up a little bit. That's where his strengths are. Uh, he's lighter this training camp he's down to like 325 which he, he said he was up a lot higher than that before so i think just losing the weight he, he looks a little spry he's hoping that'll help keep him healthy we don't know if that'll work but anything's worth a shot uh you try because the potential's there with him you yeah, talk about running and i mean jalen hurts 
for my money, maybe, you know, the, I mean, certainly one of the best fantasy rushing performances last year, when you look at his red zone stats, he was literally the most used quarterback in the red zone on a per game basis since the year 2000. It was like him and a Cam Newton year. And there's like a gap between anyone. And it makes sense. The dude is just big physical and, and the one yard push that uh, I thought might've gotten banned in the off season worked so effectively until at the end of the year when he injures the shoulder and it it looked like that could have ultimately derailed the season. Luckily, they had put so much gap between themselves and anyone else. They were able to rest him. Do you think that worries them? We kind of got the same sentiment with Josh Allen where the elbow thing was an issue. Do you think that worries them to the point where they actually change how he's used, which is hard because he's so good in the way that he's used? Yeah, I don't expect a big change. And it's a it's going to be a talking point as long as he's here because – We've, I mean, and look, Philly's seen rushing quarterbacks before, and we've been down this road with Michael Vick and McNabb at a certain point in his career. Randall Cunningham, it goes back. There's a history here of running quarterbacks. Jalen's a little unique because of his build. You mentioned Josh Allen, like Cam Newton. Uh, they're they're bigger guys. They can withstand more than a, a Michael Vick or a Lamar Jackson. Uh, and like I, I think they're going to be cognizant of it. They're going to try to limit exposure to unnecessary hits but it's not like he's going to all of a sudden become a pocket passer uh he's getting much better in the pocket he's a viable pocket passer now he's pretty good there but what makes him unique is that ability to run and you have to do it a little bit or you kind of lose that threat so i still think they're going to run some read option at times they'll run some rpos he's gonna have the ability on scramble drills to use his legs to extend plays to get out and pick up first downs, you can't eliminate that stuff. I think they just want to try to eliminate the unnecessary times he takes a shot. So uh, I will tell you, like, I, I think he does a decent job of protecting himself. Like he'll he understand when to slide, when to just take a step out of bounds. There were years here where we had Michael Vick and the dude could not slide, never <laughs> learned how to slide. They tried, they brought in people from the Phillies organization to try to teach him how to slide. He just couldn't do it. Um, at least Hertz has an understanding of like how to do it. He played baseball growing up. So, uh, it, but it's Nick Sirianni said it best this year. We didn't pay him more to do less. Uh, they're going to use him like that. And it's, it's, it's going to be nerve wracking at times because they're going to see him take some hits and and that's just what they're going to have to live with. Just pictured Larry Boa trying to teach Michael Vick how to slide. And Dave, we asked about the running game first, because at least from a fantasy perspective, that's where the questions are. And that the the receiver core and like the target distribution, that seems like one of the most straightforward things in fantasy. You know, has a way of not working out that way. Like on paper, it's AJ Brown, it's Devontae Smith, it's Dallas Goddard, just dominating the target share. Is it as simple as that? Will there be a can maybe more of a convergence between AJ Brown and Devontae Smith? They really had similar target totals last year. AJ Brown, the more explosive player, one of the most dominant yak guys in the entire league had about 300 more yards but is there any reason at all to expect the touch distribution to get shaken up between those those big three at pass catcher no it's funny i mean the eagles are on a they're so secretive about so much of what they do under nick sirianni and they will tell anyone who listens their passing offense runs through those three guys they're going to get them all targets um and all three of them eight last year. I mean, there wasn't like you know, there, there were some moments like the first game of the season. I don't think Devonte had a catch and there are going to be like little blips like that, where that happens. But uh, 
I'll tell you what, in week two, they made sure to get him the ball pretty quick. You're, I pulled it up. He had zero catches and four targets, Kyle. I'm sure we did not overreact to that at all. No, we, th- we wouldn't have. I don't <laughs> yeah. think so, no. Yeah, it, and look, when when thing, when thing people are when they're winning, like the guys care a little bit less, but they still want the football. We saw, uh, I mean, A.J. Brown in some wins last year was like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm open, guys. Uh, he has a, he actually, I don't know if anyone knows this, he has a sign above his locker uh, says, always open. <laughs> uh, like one of those like convenience store flip signs. So Back check, uh, true. yeah, he, he, he wants the football and uh, he'll make sure if he's not getting it, he'll, he'll make sure if someone knows about it, but really all three of those guys are, are going to play a role in the past game. Curious to see, I mentioned the running backs earlier, if they start getting a little bit, uh, a little bit more of those targets, but I don't think it's going to be like a drastic change. It's, it's still going to run through those big three. And then, uh, as far as like the third wide receiver, it's still Quez Watkins. Uh, I know they brought in Alameda Zacchaeus from Atlanta. Uh, he's starting to look a little better in training camp, but it's very clear that Quez is above him on the depth chart. Interesting to hear starting to look a little better for Zacchaeus, implying that uh, this, yeah, this well, is important. I'll really give this caveat, though. They, they had some second-team offense issues at a center who wasn't snapping the ball very well so it was uh Mariota was struggling early the whole second team offense was out of whack they made that switch and then the last two or three practices that entire second unit looked much better so is the answer to the question the only is the only guy who could shake up this target share DeAndre Swift and even that it's not like it's gonna like spin it off its access axis yeah I I don't think so it's still gonna run through those three guys they don't have another tight end who's gonna start taking targets quez on occasion will catch a deep ball and you'll think oh maybe he's an option no i mean he's (laughs) he's not gonna be consistently an option it's it's those three so then the only other big change really uh shane steichen gone to the indianapolis colts who was calling plays last year between nick sirianni and shane steichen and what if anything might change without shane steichen in 2023 yeah, uh, it was Shane last year, and and it, when Nick started in 2021, he was calling plays till about halfway through the season, and it wasn't working. He felt like he had too much on his plate, um, and he couldn't be an effective play caller and manage the game. So he turned it over to Steichen, and immediately, like the offense changed. They became a run-heavy team because that's what they did best that year, and then they were much better offense, and then. Nick didn't want to go back. He thought Steichen had this ability to call plays. They stuck with it uh, for the entire season last year, and Chain was tremendous. I mean, I just had a feel for what – As good had. as it gets, really. Yeah, I mean, just – For my just, money, the Eagles were the best team at playing to their opponents' weaknesses, like picking on their opponents who couldn't pass rush and would just give Hurts time in the pocket. The Steelers game, because I didn't think T.J. Watt was healthy for that game. They were just clean pockets, bombing them downfield to A.J. Brown. When the opponent was, like, bad against the run – Eagles are a great run team. They were willing to adapt so much where I think some teams do get stuck in like, this is what we do well. Eagles are the opposite. They were so flexible. It was like really an impressive performance. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's what I've noticed about them under Sirianni that like whatever's working, like they'll do it. And Steichen had the same philosophy. There were times last year he'd run the same play three times in a row. <laughs> we uh, call that the Madden. Yeah. Like why not? If it's working, just keep running it. They, they really try to not over, um, uh, overcrowd their minds. It was really simplified last year. Steichen had an act for it. And look, so much of the work is done during the week. Uh, and the Eagles are quick to tell you that they don't want Sirianni's influence on in this offense to get lost because 
he's game planning and, and he has a big role in it. So when they get to Sundays, it's like, yeah, we've been through this situation before, even though Shane's the one picking the play, getting it into the quarterback, Sirianni's on the same page, but there is an art to calling plays. And Brian Johnson is taking over in that role as new offensive coordinator. He did it back at Florida when he was the OC and it was the year Florida had a crazy offensive output. I think they were second in the, um, a second in college football in terms of passing offense that year. So uh, he was going to get an offensive coordinator job at some point. They were lucky that they were able to keep him here when Shane left, but it's still kind of an unknown. And there's really nothing Brian can do in training camp in the preseason to prove that he's a good play caller. It's really going to come down to when the games matter. Can he do it? We don't know. There are some hints to think he can, but we'll have to see him actually do it. I just looked up the Brian Johnson Wikipedia. It was 2020 when he called plays for Florida. And from my memory, the pandemic year, Florida absolutely wrecked Missouri oh, yeah. that year. And uh, <laughs> so that definitely – I think we were getting killed at halftime. Like, it was bad. That's not really a new experience for you, though, Pat. That's a pretty uh, regular you know, Saturday. You know, that's, that's neither here nor there. Dave, we've taken a lot of your time. Just a quick boilerplate question, and it could be a very obvious answer. Who has been the most impressive Eagles skill player in training camp? Maybe excluding AJ Brown and Jalen Hurts. Uh, yeah, if we exclude AJ and Devontae. Uh, all right, we'll take Devontae. <laughs> Are we taking Goddard off the board? Too? Take Goddard out too. Who's the most surprising, oh, impressive guys? Eagles. Um, <laughs> you leave me with not many options here. Skill guys. Uh, I would actually say DeAndre Swift, um, cool. especially early in camp. Uh, and it's like you kind of expect him early in camp to look good. He better, uh, you know, in a non-padded practice, he better look good. I mean, he's an explosive player. But uh, I've seen him play plenty of times, and, and he's a Philly guy too. He played uh, for St. Joe's Prep in the city. So, like, I've known about him and seen him quite a bit. But seeing him in person and seeing his hands, uh, Sirianni kind of talks about the difference between receiver hands and running back hands. Oh, yeah. Swift has receiver hands. I mean, he looks like a wide out when he catches the ball. He's really smooth with it. And it's not just out of the backfield. I mean, we've seen him at times line up wide. We've seen him in the slot. Um, wheel routes, he's been pretty smooth. And the screen game, which is something where, like, this team should be good at running screens when you have the athletes they have on their offensive line. And if they really – the last time they were good at screens was, like, when Darren Sproles was here. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's been a long time. I think he has that ability. Curious to see how they fold that into the offense. Dave, really, really interesting stuff. I mean, a really interesting team because they're so good, but then not as interesting as some other teams just because it's so settled, but it's settled because they have so many good players. So thanks for trying to sort out the unsettled backfield for us. Uh, tell people where they can find you, what maybe you got got going right now over at NBC Sports Philadelphia. Yeah, sure. On the uh, on the Twitter at, uh, at DZangaro, NBCS, uh, Eagle Eye Podcast, and everything else is on NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. And you're with Ruben Frank, by the way, right? Uh, yeah. Tell, tell Ruben, I, I follow Ruben more for music than I do football, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, Ruben and I have very, very similar music tastes. Ruben, an indie rock aficionado. He, he is uh, for sure, yeah. Uh, really interesting guy. Dave, really interesting stuff. Thank you so much for taking time to join us. Sure, guys. Take care. Well, Kyle, we made it through three guests. Um, me almost. My <laughs> unspeakable crimes committed by my internet. Um, Those eight the, pixels really, they were struggling good. Struggling to hold it all they together. They were good. We would be remiss before we, we left if we did not mention the fact that big 10 day is here. 
Break out your Big Ten school colors. Kyle's got Ohio State flags all over his house. And celebrate the inaugural celebrate the inaugural Big Ten national holiday. Dust off your best gear. Share photos of your school pride with the hashtag Big Ten Day on social media. And do not forget, find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports. Big Ten Day, you know, it seems cool, but not going to celebrate it. Uh, I was a Big 8 guy. I was a Big 12 guy. Now I'm an SEC guy. We don't celebrate Big Ten Day around here. Um, so uh, you can do it, though, Kyle. Because, again, Kyle, he does a very good job of hiding the fact that he's an Ohio State psycho. But he's an Ohio State psycho, are you not? All right, all right. Let's not get carried away. You know, <laughs> and, and we're really – we're I, I only know this from following college football writers on Twitter, but I think we're growing by the day. You could be consumed by our ever moving mass of, of land, you know. It's true. I've gone on this rant on the show. All I can say about Ohio State fans is that there is not a single Ohio State fan who does not own A, a giant truck, and then B, an Ohio State flag that they fly out the back of it on every college football Saturday, no matter what town in America they live in. Um, they are very dedicated, hardcore fans. I will give them that. Uh, I live I live in Charlotte, and uh, somehow it's a massive Ohio State. So there's probably like four Ohio State bars just in like your yeah. neighborhood alone, not just Charlotte. Um, I run one of them. There he goes. Thank you so much to Nui Scruggs. Thank you so much to J.P. Finley. Thank you so much to Dave Zangaro giving us really good stuff on some situations we just had to know more about. Our, our division preview series is over. You can check it out. It's all still relevant. Eight different shows, every division previewed with myself, Kyle, and Denny Carter. A lot of really, really good guests. Um, So for Kyle Dvorak, I'm Patrick Darty. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.